Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello? Hello. Oh, oh, God. How long has it been? Fuck, man. It quite, has a, been, quite a while. It's been a while. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been... It's been... It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, we've said nothing about it, too, really. No, it's been... It's pretty much been radio silence. <laughs> we've it, done in, nothing in the, to in tell anybody. In the meantime of this radio silence from us... The Patreon has been essentially eliminated. Yeah, because we don't feel comfortable making people pay for shit that we promised. And they were like, yeah, we'll buy that. And then we just stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> we're so, not scammers. Before we even get into the pleasantries of life, we'll break it down for you. We've said it before. We'll say it again. It's just two of us, right? It's just it's Jake just and myself. Us, you know. We do what we can. But we had an epiphany where we realized that while we do love doing the show... The structure of every week having to have something done, it it really just became a, a job that was very draining, and it on it, top of our other jobs and you know and other life things that happen in life. So God forbid. Um, but so you're hearing it here live, and funny enough, no one even knows this. We've had uh, previous guests of the show. Uh, well, Georgie essentially. Yeah. He asked. He was like, hey, what what the fuck's going on, dude? I, I need something to listen to in the car. And I, I didn't even tell him. I just said we'd have an announcement. And here it is. Here it is, yeah. We're just we're going to keep doing the show. show's not dead. But uh, it's not. It's going to just be whenever we want. Yeah, we're breaking uh, structure. <laughs> so Pretty you know. much how... The, the way I see it, and I, I believe Jake is yeah, on the is, same page. Listen, it's Perrier. Hang on. Oh, he's got some Perrier, baby. Satisfying, right? Yeah. I believe we're on the same page. What we're doing is we, we still have a myriad of topics that we will get to, and we're really going to kind of just focus on things that pique our interest, and when something comes up that we would enjoy covering and having a good time, have a good time researching it, we're going to crack out an episode. That's what we're doing today. We're going to focus on the joy of it, you know? Yeah, and the, a quick announcement... Um, the Patreon folks, I want to very, very deeply say how grateful we are for all of you. You guys have allowed us to do the show the way we want to do it, and we have the funds to eventually get 
better equipment, which right now we're still using the we're original still equipment. still using the OG shit from like 1784. And I want you guys to know, not that it matters, I don't think you care, but we, um, funny enough, we have not cashed any of the money from Patreon in over two years. Yeah, we didn't want to do the tax. <laughs> the last time we did it was in January of 20, and we cashed out in order to buy the t-shirts. It's true. Since then, we have compiled enough money to absolutely get the equipment when we need it. When this no longer works, or we just have to get better stuff, we we have what we need essentially, and we figured instead of being greedy, instead of being rude, and not giving you the content that you pay for on a very strict schedule, it would be best to get rid of it. Um, it's gone. The original goal was to not get rid of it, so don't worry. I know you probably is there like a did we have like a backlog of all the episodes on there? Yeah, or? so this is what happened, and I'll fill you guys in. I went in and I could not figure out the best way to do it. So what I started by pausing the pay cycle, so nobody would get charged, right? No one could join. No one could. I mean, I guess you could leave, but you weren't going to get charged for whatever was happening. Yeah. But then I realized there is no setting to keep that. It's You have to go in manually, and for each individual patron, you have to cancel their payment for the month. So instead of doing that and knowing myself and being very forgetful, I went ahead and I was going to set every tier to a single dollar, okay? Or not a free. It was going to be a we dollar. We're trying to make it free, but Patreon's just like, no, you have to charge. Yeah. Like, ah, well. Patreon's minimum was a dollar. That's why I keep getting this number. Their minimum was a dollar, and to me, that goes against the very fucking thing we were trying to do by getting rid of the whole pay-to-watch type thing, okay? So, in turn, as of this moment, all of the tiers have been eliminated and payments have been stopped. So I don't know if you have access to any of the stuff that's on there. I'm currently working on it to see if I could bring those back. Uh, if not, uh, more than likely what we'll do is we can eventually start publishing them either on a different platform that is free or just uploading them onto here directly. Yeah, why not, you know? Because it's, and it's, I don't know, I feel a certain way. I do feel that it would be unfair if we were to upload every episode onto our system now because then the patreon would have essentially been you know well we paid and now it's all free you yeah know what I mean? so instead of it being a big dick move we'll be slightly shitty and do it over the span of a lot of time yeah i'm not certain exactly i'd like to try and fix the patreon and see what i could do but that is the announcement that we have for you guys um <clears throat> yeah. do not fret we will be back you can still Please feel free to give us topics. It's something that we will definitely work on. But we're going to take our time. We're going to let ourselves kind of sit with topics for a while. So that way we could deliver a better product than something that is just, we had to research it in five days and this is what we, you know what I mean? There you go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole schedule of like, all right, we're done with that episode. What do we got to do? Uh, what are we doing next week? What are we doing next? And then it's I, I get home at like, 8.30 at night from work, and then I stay up to, like, 3 for, like, three nights <laughs> just right? researching shit and, like, trying to write it out. I'm just like, someone's got to give, dude. <laughs> I try to do it at work. I'm on my computer when it's slow, looking weird shit up, and then I realize 
you know, it's some of the topics we do. I can't be reading this at work because, first off, it'll just make me he sad. He did what to that child? Goddamn. But it, uh, it's something that, as I said, we will definitely be continuing. This is not our end here. It is just a new beginning. This is simply a beginning of the new. Yeah. And I think that within time, once we kind of get comfortable with it, and I know I, it, it was weird not doing it. It, yeah, I, I would come over here and then I would just like, all right, I guess it's time to, time to leave. Yeah, wow, it, it's weird because weird. it was very enjoy. It was almost like a vacation, where it, you enjoy it for what it is. You get to relax, and then after you sort of feel guilty, you know, as if there's somebody out there that yeah, is like mad. I'm not doing anything. This this doesn't feel right. So I think once we kind of get comfortable with that and the idea of. We like to do this stuff in our free time anyway, so when we get a cool topic that is unique and something that I don't think and Jake doesn't think is widely available out there on other platforms, we're going to be right back here doing what we do. Then guess what? That's what's happening today. It is, because... And today's Grant is going to be the uh, the storyteller there. Yeah, I and have... I'm going to be one of you guys, part of the audience. I have a very interesting story, and the approach I'm taking with this is going to be... I'm trying to do a little bit more conversational because the way I researched it is I read about it. I watched a couple things. It, it was honestly harder to find the information than I thought it would be. But I kind of dilly-dallied on a lot of stuff, and I was like, I need to take some notes. I need to take notes. I have a very skeletal note system, but I've just read the story so many times and thought about it over the last month that I'm going to try to deliver it as if I'm telling you a bedtime story. Action. How about that? Yeah, no, it's good. So, for those of you that are in the region, as they call it, in northwest Indiana, the Chicagoland area, this one is specifically dedicated to you guys. I know we have fans that are far and wide, not from the area, but everybody fucking knows Gary, Indiana. Right, it's pretty popular. Not well, not for good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's famous. We infamous. We have certainly talked about it before. We went to the demon. Well, we didn't go there. We we drove past the demon house lot. We mentally went to the demon house. We've talked about just other things passing through, being here. Jake went to school here. I, I did live for here. A year. So I actually stumbled upon this. Uh, in a very unique way, I was reading the news. It wasn't, you know, the newspaper. It was a news site that covers the region. And I was looking through the comments, and this guy made a comment about living through Gary in the 80s and 90s, even the 70s, and the Garland Jeffers era, right? Garland Jeffers. Did not know what that was. So that piqued my interest, and I went on a little bit of a side streak. And I found the story of Mr. Garland Jeffers. And holy shit, is it is it good? Oh it's, my god, wait a minute. Dude, I used to work with a waitress whose last name was Jeffers. Dude, they could be did related. Did this guy procreate? Oh, he did. Don't even uh, okay. worry, he did. All right. But before we get into that, it is important to note that this is going to be about organized crime in a sense. So obviously you got to talk about the mafia, right? I, I would assume, yeah. You have to. Chicago was known for having its mafia syndicates hanging around, and that bled into Indiana because you got to think 
it's right here. It, you can take boat, train, or car, or even a fucking bike and get to Gary from Chicago, okay? It's true, yeah. It was quite the perfect way to get away from it all. You were still close. If there was an emergency, you could get to where you needed to be in the city. But you also didn't have to live in the very city that you conducted your business. That's just a given. Now, something that a lot of people might not think about in the 20s and the 30s and even into the 40s, black people were in the mafia. They were not the high-ranking officials, obviously. They were not Italian, and they were discriminated against, so they couldn't really hold the office, I guess you want to call it. Yeah, there was a glass ceiling there. However, yeah, that's a good way to put it. There is a crime glass ceiling for black people in the mafia. But they still had their connections, and they did a lot more of the street-level shit. They would, you know, if it was drugs, per se, they might be the person actually selling the drug, and the manufacturer and the distributor comes from higher up the chain. Well, as time goes on, and as we start getting into the 40s and the 50s, well, the mafia kind of slowed down. Um, Yeah, they started going to jail a lot. I mean, simply put, they started getting busted, like Jake said, and it just, it wasn't as prominent as it was before, but that left a very gaping hole in the crime underworld. And who was going to take over? This organized syndicate of criminal bosses was no longer as effective as they once were. How do we get drugs on the streets? How do we get things that are illegal? How do we do shit? Racketeering, all that nonsense, right? Sure, yeah. Someone had to step up. And black people were the perfect crime because they were already in that world. That was a crazy soundbite right there. That was, yeah. That's bad. Don't clip that. You know what I mean. They were already partaking in that world, and they kept it alive. After the bosses would go, well, some of them, some of them, especially in lower income areas in the city, they would kind of still drug deal, still offer protection, do things like that. Nobody really said anything otherwise because that's just how life went. Well, as the mafia dissipates, new people step into power, and that is how we get essentially now what we're what they refer to as the gang culture. You know, it's the same setup. It's just that when it's white people, it's called the mafia. When it's black people, they call it a gang, right? It seems to be that way, yeah. It's just targeting for the sake of targeting, because that's the way that the world works, even to this day. But, that's just a little background on my guy, the situation he is about to fall into, Mr. Garland Jeffers. Garland Jeffers, okay. Are we ready to begin? Yes. God, yeah. All right. Well... George and Jesse May Jeffers, married in 1941. Jesse May. They had their firstborn son named Nathaniel Jeffers, also known as Rawhide. Okay, with all these names, like, these are white people, right? No. Nathaniel? Really? No. George and May Jeffers and their child Nathaniel are actually uh, African Americans. Wow, Nathaniel is never... They're cool, man. Yeah, that is how that goes. So... George, the father of Garland, he had terrible fucking luck when it came to motor vehicles, okay? This dude, in 1943, he got hit by a fucking railroad switch engine in uh, East Chicago, okay? Okay, all right. 
it's just not very good. Uh, it, Any injuries? Or anything? Like, I just, mean, injured, but no, you know, nothing. Obviously, nothing fatal. It's terrible luck, just losing games of cards to cars. Pretty much, yeah. No, you know, no fatal injuries. Nothing that's debilitating, but it happened. Another uh, minor car incident, and then we'll talk about another one later. But on June first of nineteen fifty-two, George Jeffers was the driver of a car that ended up in a crash. And you know where that was? Take uh, a stab at it. Uh, take it. St- uh, read a road on the corner of Fifth Avenue and Clark. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in Gary. That's, that's right over there. If you're familiar with Gary, it's near the West Side, going. I guess one's going towards East Chicago, the other is going towards the main downtown area of Gary, like is Broadway. It, is it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm motioning in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Garland Jeffers, not Garland, sorry, George Jeffers lost control of his vehicle, spun out, hit a car, and he died the next day from a skull fracture. Okay? Oh, well. He was only 33 years old, so Jessie May moved the family to the Delaney Housing Project because, obviously, she didn't you know, have a lot of money. Her husband was the one out working and stuff, so she needed... Needed something. Yeah, yeah. So they moved to the projects, right? You should have been wearing a helmet, dude. If he had a past with, like, terrible injuries in cars, just wear a helmet in the car. Uh-huh. Well, wear a helmet. Think. It's not a bad idea, actually. It looks hilarious, but you know what? It would have saved his life. Well, you got a point there. But in 1947, Garland was born. So Garland was just a little boy, six years old, right around six years old at the time. And they moved to the housing projects, Okay. So it was Jesse May, the mom, and then it was Nathaniel, who was 12, and Garland, who was 6 at the time. So Garland never met his father, George. He did, but he was so young. Oh, it was very, that... very brief. I thought like, it was like he was, just, he was still in his first apartment that it was his mother's belly. No, when no, When the no. father he'd, died or something, I don't he'd know. He'd been born for, I, it's somewhere in the area of 5 to 6 years. The dates are a little off, but it it's somewhere in that region. All right. He probably has very, very few memories, but memories nonetheless. I'd has, eh? Hmm. Well, had, I guess. He oh, didn't make it okay. Well, either way. They both, both children, Nathaniel and Garland, they attended Gary Public Schools, and it is unknown, and if they can't find any official record of them either dropping out or graduating, so nobody really knows what the education level is of Garland, but we do know <laughs> he did attend the Gary Public School System back in that day. All right, all right. Anyways, in 1967, Garland got married to a woman named Richie Carter. Richie. He was 20, and she was 17. How about that, Okay, huh? I they mean, well, it anymore. was back in the day, I guess. So... In 1967, for those of you that don't know, and I actually didn't know this either, this was one of Gary's roughest social years ever. Just horribly bad. A lot of racial tension. This was sort of the the death of industry. I, well, that, okay, that's a, a strong word. Everyone was fired on the same day from every single business. Everybody <laughs> lost it their was, jobs. It was fucking bedlam, all right? It was fucking crazy. I will say this. I don't know... To what degree it was, it wasn't quite dead, I would say, but people were losing jobs. There was still a lot of racial tension happening, and then on top of that, you had a lot of local political turmoil. 1967 all around was a fucking brutal year for people that lived in Gary, okay? I mean, all those things you used to describe that time, it's, 
It's kind of now also. Uh-huh. Yeah. In that year, a young man named Richard Gordon Hatcher declared his candidacy for the mayor. That is when what they are calling a Cold War got fought between the new and old ways of Gary, and it showed seemingly because the city did not know how to react. Everything was backwards because the criminal enterprises at this point got fucking supercharged, right? Everybody is freaking out. Everybody's pissed. Everybody's on edge. It's the perfect time for drugs to be sold, shit to go down. Do you get all these people knowing like the ins and outs of the of the criminal world, but never having those fucking, never having the top positions? Right. And now everyone's losing their jobs. They're looking for money. They're looking for drugs. They make you feel good when you lose your job. I hear. I hear. <laughs> like that save. But this is when things started to get out of hand. Right. Are you ready? Okay. 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 So, in 1967, a string of robberies started happening all around downtown Gary. Hell yeah, dude. And downtown Hammond. Ooh. Neighboring city. We go there as well sometimes. The widespread consensus of the locals was that black people were running wild and robbing everything in sight. It was even in the paper that way. However, what they refused to acknowledge is that it really didn't matter what your skin color was. There was just widespread rioting and looting happening. Yeah, everyone all was over just kind of kind of doing it. It was not a race thing. However, this fueled the whole racial tension thing even further, because black people were getting the blame for doing shit that everybody was doing. It's these damn journalists. So we have to deal with that. But also, you got to underknown. You got to understand. I was trying to. You got to underknow. Trying to morph words <laughs> together. At this time, it is not truly known if Garwin Jeffers was involved in anything. We know that he wasn't involved in any crime syndicates, but he, you know, he may or may not have been involved in some of the robberies. Yeah, I was gonna like say that. he probably like uh, chose to, you know, give himself a treat, go out and loot with his friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know. So. I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown. These are some of the notes I'm looking at here. On February 21st, 1967, four men armed with weapons ran into the Washington drugstore located on Broadway in Gary. They made all the patrons and staff lay on the ground as they robbed the cash register of $300. Pretty standard. The next day, four men, fully armed, walked into the Perfection Furniture Store located on Broadway Avenue. Well, Broadway. Three individuals got knocked out with the butt of the shotgun, and the assailants robbed the store of an undisclosed amount of money, believed to be more than 300 but less than 600 You know, I feel like after you knock out the second person who's probably not trying to fight you, the third is kind of, it's kind of overkill, don't you think? A little bit. It's like that guy just really wanted to hit some people. He was the one guy in the group, he's like, I don't give a fuck about the money, I'm going to beat the shit out of these fucking patrons. The next day. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. Let's whatever, party. dude. Whatever. You should tell a story. Whatever. However, now are you ready? Because on the next day of February 23rd, 1967, they go into another store on Broadway. But this time, a 49-year-old Chechenian owner and his wife are fucking ready. They come out guns blazing, right? Sweet. They come out guns blazing, whatever. Their shots fired. The ne- soon after that, it's not really said. I couldn't figure out if it was like that day or maybe the following day. A couple people were arrested. 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was a week later. Oh. Garland Jeffers was arrested after admitting to having a role in the robbery. How about that? Which one, though? The final one. The reason this one was taken so seriously is because the wife of the store owner was murdered. It was unintentional. Holy shit. (laughs) It was in the bedlam of shooting. Oh, you like that word. Yeah, I knew. I like that. Was killed. But (laughs) three people got arrested. And one of them was sentenced to prison in 1968. The other two, which one of was Garland Jeffers, they were only convicted of conspiracy as they were not seen to be the ones doing the action. But they were given two to 14 year sentences, right? Two to 14 or two 14? Two, two years to 14 years. Wow. That <laughs> it just depending. It's a pretty wide berth. Well, Garland Jeffers sat in prison for four years. Because he did not get paroled until 1971. <laughs> That's called a high school career. Essentially, yeah. How about that? Yeah. During that time in 1971, a vigilante-style anti-drug gang got formed in Gary called The Family. What? <laughs> a straight-edge gang? <laughs> yeah. they were. Just, holy shit. They were pretty much... I'll get into it a little bit more, but they were people that were affected by the gang violence and the issues that were happening in the 60s, and they just had enough of it. So they were using their tactics to get rid of them. That's kind of (laughs) cool. Dude, that should be a movie. How is that not a movie? It is interesting, isn't it? Their tactics were pretty easy. What they would do is they would extort drug dealers by making them pay the gang for the privilege of dealing anywhere in the city of Gary. If the dealers refused, the family would come over and brutally confiscate the products and even kill them if necessary. That's how you do it, man. Yeah. So essentially, they played. The, yeah, they played the role of if you want to fucking sell on our turf, you fucking pay us money. And if they didn't, they'd fucking kill you. There you go. Right. You got to threaten these people with death. It's the only thing they understand. The principal founders of this group were Garland Jeffers and a man named Leroy Carchetti Williams. Carchetti? Carchetti. 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 But they recruited a small group of friends and family. This was essentially how they formed the group, right? They would do really bad shit, to say the least. They would rob and beat up and kill and just fucking brutalize people, but... They kind of got away with it because they were all criminals that they were doing it to. Okay, so they weren't just, like, doing it haphazardly to anybody, just roaming around. Right, it yeah. Was, it was always with, like, a an ethical turn to it. Essentially, they were they were sort of how the Punisher is, except they were going <laughs> after low-level street guys, you know? Just killing everybody. I mean, and they Dude, that fucking, movie is fucking nuts. Isn't it, dude? It's, it's fucking great. amazing. That's what they were doing, though, man. Like, they were fucking just brutalizing these drug dealers because that was they didn't want that shit in their neighborhoods. There you go. All right. So the tactics they used were ruthless, as I said. And in one instance, you're not going to believe this. In 1972, I guess you will believe this. The gang's first murder was a man named Timothy J. Palm. He was a heroin dealer that would work outside of Smith's pool room. And... <laughs> The gang had... My heroin dealer's name is Timmy. (laughs) Yeah. 
Fucking Timmy J. Palm. Oh, my God. Hey, Tim Palm. Dude, Palm. He's, he just wears shorts too short for him, I know. Oh, he but did. But they're still baggy. Oh, yeah. He let the, the, the thigh hair kind of hang. Yeah, yeah. He's got the sandals with the white socks all the way up. They shot him in the head four times. <laughs> That's what you got to do to that kind of guy. <laughs> so. Just, okay. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, that's it. This like, they weird. just killed him. Yeah, they just fucking murdered him. But when they killed him, they kind of realized something. Because within a week, somebody else was dealing heroin out of Smith's pool room, right? So the thought had occurred to them that they were they were fighting for nothing because it was just too... Too overrun. No, dude, you got to get to the top of the ladder. Uh-huh. Get to the source, the head of the snake. So this is where Garwin Jeffers, a low-level member of the family, kind of associate of the family, he was part of the creation of it, but since he was on parole, you know, he couldn't be seen doing that stuff or be affiliated with them. Yeah. He was more so a spiritual member. Well, this is where the family had decided that they needed somebody who could join the ranks and no people have connections and influence the city of Gary outside of what they could control. Well, fucking Garland Jeffers signed up for the job. Hell yeah. Dude. They were still working under the assumption that he was being watched for parole. So they had sort of a patsy step in and be the actual head man. But Garland Jeffers called all the shots. Yeah. He was the guy. He was the invisible hand. So this is where Garland and Leroy recruited Larry Adams. Adams was an independent drug dealer himself, but he was a huge proponent of ridding Gary of other dealers. It's it's unknown, and they don't go into this too much, if he was into it because maybe they offered him a deal of letting him stick around. They, no one really knows, but the fact that they didn't kill him is proof enough that they were willing to kind of go down that slippery slope. Okay, all right, all right. You got to take some risks. However, Adam's close personal ties with most most of the main heroin dealers in the city, they decided that he would be the patsy. He was the first president, and he was voted in officially in February of 1972. They continued on as normal, and they started earning some money from these extortions, right? Because some of them would actually pay. So they would allow them to deal drugs only if they paid a very high tax to the family. I think from here you can kind of see where it's going. A little bit, yeah. It's just It sounds like a organized crime. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they had actually earned themselves to be around an estimated $800,000 at that time. Wait, what year was this? 1972. They and that's just estimated, but that's what they believe. You said eight hundred, eight hundred thousand in the year of nineteen seventy-two. What would that be today? It's well over two million, right? I has. It's got to be. I'm going real slow. Hey, don't worry about it. We're gonna get there. We're gonna pull up that answer. I don't want an ad from fucking. You're getting it, dude. Uber Eats is always getting my fucking way. Uber Eats, dude. You gotta eat and you gotta Uber. Why not do both? In 1972? Yep. 1972. Let's see. That would be $5,776,765.55. Yeah, Good fucking lord. That's quite a lot of money. So the family was worth a lot of fucking money at this point. But they didn't think that was enough. And this is where they finally went down into the gutter 
and they used all that money that they had been earning to buy, to buy heroin, heroin and cocaine. <laughs> they bought a bunch Amazing of fucking Amazing how that happens, isn't it? it? It's just the natural cycle of it. It really is, man. You just flip your entire philosophy. Uh-huh. So this is where things changed a little bit because when they would rob the drug dealers, they would take their drugs and give them a choice. Get out of Gary, stop selling our shit in Gary, or come work for us and you give us, you know, a portion of the money that you earn. If they said no, they were killed. And if they said yes, they were welcomed into the family. They were killed. Yeah, they they were killed again. (laughs) But really they're just killing people and taking their heroin. Uh, that's how shit worked. So as the family began to take root in the drug trade, big-time independent dealers started skipping town. One guy was named Cool Freddy. Hell yeah. <laughs> See, that's the drug dealer you want. You don't want fucking Timmy. No, you want Cool Freddy. Thank dude. God Timmy got shot in the head four times. Give me Cool Freddy. Cool Freddy had not been in Gary for over a calendar year, but he had allegedly made a million dollars off of heroin sales just by himself. Wow. That, you know, it's strange to have that much, like, motivation to, like, be the best mm-hmm. when you're just selling, selling heroin. You want to know why this guy's name is Cool Freddy to me? Why? So, right before the family started killing the dealers without question... Cool Freddy either had wind of it or knew something bad was going to happen. But he ended up getting arrested briefly right before, okay? And the judge, thinking that Cool Freddy would rot in prison for the rest of his life, set his bail at a hundred grand. You know what Cool Freddy did? He just fucking popped it on the podium, I assume. He pulled out $100,000 in cash and walked out and never came back. That's amazing. <laughs> that guy is my hero, dude. Yeah, Cool Freddy, fucking badass motherfucker. Well, that kind of goes to show you that dealers that had big reputations in Gary, they did not want to be in Gary because they were going to get fucking killed. They yeah, had to go. Yeah. So, I mean, Chicago's right there. Just do it fucking there. Funny you should say that because this is when Jeffers and Adams decided to venture into Chicago. Okay. <laughs> Their heroin right. cutting house was located at eight eight nine three nine South Blackstone Avenue. <laughs> Just the idea to have like an asset, like a property. It's like that's my heroin cutting house. Mm-hmm. It's on the, it's this address. You can go there anytime. Oh yeah, go check it out. Dude. Spare bedroom see? in the back. You want to see how it's made, dude? They're coming out later this week. They're Netflix. You can just use the kids' account. So Garland, as we know, or I guess we don't know at this point. I'll explain. He was not a drug user. He was avidly against the use of drugs. However, he loved the fucking money. He had the job title of the treasurer because that was what he did. He solely focused on the money, where it was spent, how it was being spent, where it went, shit like that. Hell yeah. So, this wasn't enough. He wasn't satiated. Donald Jeffers wanted more power. He wanted to be the fucking man, all right? Yeah, he kind of already was. He was, but he, he just, needed it. He needed the it's money. It's going to be an Icarus moment, I just know. It I is know. so true. Like, why couldn't he just be happy with where he was? No, being happy means you have to stop doing something. And if you're not doing anything, you're a piece of shit. You have to you accept You have to it. feel bad about yourself. You don't do anything. I guess you're right. That makes sense. 
Well, <laughs> no, it's a joke, dude. It makes sense, though. You got to relax sometimes, bro. Come on. You can't. You can't do you gotta it. You got to have some fun. Not when you want to make money. You can't. That is true, yeah. Spending money is so much fun, though. Oh, it's a fucking It's outstanding. the worst amazing thing in the world. I love spending money. I don't even care what it is. I just want to spend it. You bought 12 fucking movies today. <laughs> I did. I bought 12 DVDs. 12 DVDs in a bag out there. It's fuck it, dude. Why not? They were there. Why not? Growing Jeffers. Back <laughs> to this guy. He was described as being very dynamic and very forceful, right? It obviously helped him that he had people that would uh, beat ass for him whenever he wanted. But there was about 50 people that were in the family at this point, okay? But it still wasn't enough to dismantle the Gary underground, okay? All right. The gang did not give themselves the name of the family. That was strictly from the press, okay? See, it's these fucking journalists again, dude. Uh-huh. They're shaping everything right under our nose. Stories tell of the brutal beatings conducted by the families. Most of these stories are true. Similar infractions would result in beatings and sometimes torture, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most of the time, Jeffers would lead beatings himself, being a way that he maintained control. He would beat them until he was physically unable to continue beating them. All right? That that shows you how crazy this guy was. That sounds like he should have killed them by then. I don't know how effective this guy is at beating. Uh-huh. That's what I'm going to say. This is how fucking badass he was. So in one instance, he beat a guy until he could physically not handle it anymore. He needed to rest because his body just had enough. He laid the guy on the ground after that, shot both of his kneecaps out, dragged him to his car, and dropped him off at the hospital himself. All right, that's kind of a classy move, <laughs> you know? That's fucking baller. <laughs> In, like, the weirdest way possible, that's class, all right? Mm-hmm. In March of 1972, police conducted a raid at the family headquarters in Gary. Garland was arrested for violating his parole. In addition, he was found in possession of drugs and weapons. So he was taken off to Gary City Jail, right? He was going to be transferred over. You going to jail. Oh, he went to jail? You going to jail. And he was about to be transferred over to Pendleton Reformatory. That doesn't sound good. However, he was given a constant flow of food and money from the outside. The food contained drugs so that he could sell it in prison. Ooh, yum. Larry Adams was one of the men that was responsible for these deliveries. On March 8th, Adams was on his way to jail when he got ambushed in a shootout. He was struck multiple times and spent six weeks recouping in the hospital. The family still treated him as president, but behind the scenes, changes got made. Because Jeffers couldn't do it, right? He's in prison. Yeah, yeah. William Doug Davidson, a policeman on the family's payroll, suggested the gang move away from robbing drug dealers into forcing them to pay for daily protection as it not only would be safer, but it would keep the spotlight off of them. Good idea, policeman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. The gang adopted this policy, yet a coup was in the works. It is unknown exactly how many people were behind it, but it was enough for Garland to successfully replace Larry Adams' leadership and install himself as the new president from behind bars. There was no resistance. Adam recuperated in the hospital, and he returned to the family, strictly at the level of a regular drug pusher and never got to hold power again. Damn. 
nuts removed. Mm-hmm. God damn, dude. Adams then got arrested that May. In jail, he befriended police officer Nathan McKinney. McKinney told Adams he knew of other officers currently on the family's payroll that were out protecting people. McKinney wanted the job as well and asked Adams for a $1,000 salary. Instead, Adams said, why don't you go see Garland Jeffers? McKinney got tested. He was to retrieve heroin and bring it back to Adams. And another family pusher locked up with him, James Barry, because Adams could not connect the gang or could not contact the gang while he was in prison. Okay, it's a conduit of sorts. Uh huh. At that moment, another family member arrived from booking, Donald Allen. Allen told Adams that he had $117 in his pocket stolen from another dealer before he got arrested. Officer McKinney gave Allen a property release slip with which authorized McKinney to confiscate the money to be given to Allen's wife. But it was a front. McKinney was to take the money for himself. In exchange, Adams, Barry, and Allen would receive heroin, which was to be stolen from the police narcotics lockup. All right. Okay. All so right. McKinney they got was, a whole system going. Yeah, McKinney was getting used and tested all at once while providing them heroin. All right. That is efficient training methods if I've ever heard it's one. It's fucking badass. McKinney took the money, slipped it into his pocket, and left them alone. A few moments later, he returned back with a brown glass full of pills. Uh, heroin. Heroin. <laughs> <you> <laughs> Adams and Barry emptied the capsules and gave them back to McKinney. McKinney then refilled the capsules with salt and sugar and returned the bottle to the narcotics lockup. The capsules were full of cocaine, not heroin. However, it didn't matter. McKinney had supplied all three men with syringes, and they all shot the cocaine in their veins directly in front of McKinney. Nice little cocaine party. So McKinney had had passed their test, right? Because of this, Garland Jeffers would end up placing him on the payroll. Larry Adams still remained in jail, and he got indicted for distributing in October of that year. June 25th of 1972, both of the headquarters of the family were raided again. This time they found guns, ammos, and pounds of fucking heroin. Ammos. Ammos, yeah, I noticed that after I said it. 19 family members got arrested. At the end of the summer... Nearly 40 members were under arrest at some point in that year alone. Jesus. By October 14th. Oh, yeah, dude, these fucking guys don't play. By October 14th, the law indicated, indicted most of them. Rumors flowed about Gary police officers being in bed with the drug dealers. However, no no policeman ever got charged. Jeffers had numerous police department's (laughs) official in his pocket. Good Lord. This guy, they don't fucking play, dude. These guys are like OG mafia tactics, okay? Yeah. Dude, they were around for it, dude. They, they watched it all happen, soaked it all in. Sponges, these guys, about, about crime. Very true. This is when the drug wars were really heating up in the area. Everybody knew who the belligerents were, but nobody ever talked. Nobody could say a word. As a result, murder continued in Gary. Unknown numbers of cold cases were stacking up. Dealer after dealer got knocked off, and the bodies were piling up. The family boasted in the media about helping police by robbing independent dealers. Despite several raids against them, the family's operation never lost one step. Detectives, once open to the media about the family, 
suddenly did not say a word. Mayor Richard Hatcher would be the one to speak for them, but he was preoccupied. He couldn't remain solely focused on the antics of a few junkies because he had other shit to do. He was too busy shooting heroin by himself. Uh Uh-huh. He was focused, the mayor was focused on demolishing parts of Midtown Gary, especially the former red light district known as the border, right? Ooh. This was, his idea to attack it was get rid of the fucking buildings, right? Just knock them out. Yeah, so people are just doing the red light district stuff in the field, Uh in the rubble. Come on. So essentially how it goes is the mayor was really trying to crack down on crime, but the way he was doing it did not really feed the media's fear of stopping anything. So he got a really bad rap, but he still was working, right? Yeah, I mean, when you're a politician, as long as you're doing something, someone's going to be all right with it. But everyone's always going to be pissed at you. Oh, yeah. You'll never win. As long as you're actively doing something. There were several shootouts at the family's Maryland Street headquarters where numerous guards and lookouts were murdered. Drive-bys were a very common occurrence. The family was also making enemies inside the city of Chicago. Chicago police officers were in Garland Jeffers' pocket. A squad of six CPD officers worked part-time as Jeffers' personal hitmen. That's fucking sweet. (laughs) They would scatter corpses along AD-94, and they would all be the bodies of drug dealers from Gary. Not even Larry Adams could escape the violence. He was shot again while exiting the police station. (laughs) It is believed that Garland Jeffers put out a hit on him when he got out. Hey, man. Can't keep that guy around. Mm-hmm. I like it when I know where he is. I know what he's up to. Here's a little story. It's a little side story. Okay? Give, me the, give me the story. In May of 1972, 19-year-old Linda Williams graduated from Gary Roosevelt High School. Congrats. She was an honor student and enrolled at Indiana State University in Bloomington. Oh. Her mother, Doris McMillan Young, was proud of her daughter. However... Linda would never get to attend a single class at school, all right? What happened? Young was an independent heroin dealer. Oh, my God. (laughs) She got in college and shit? Uh Uh-huh. Hell yeah, it takes all kinds. Young was only a part-timer, though. She was a small fish in a sea of sharks in Gary. Her independence was no matter to the enemies of of the family. The unaffiliated pushers condensed into new gangs in an attempt to withstand the family's spread. Wow. Young lived in the territory of a gang called The Organization. (laughs) I like that. The Organization used the family's tactics, but they tried it in a different way. They were essentially trying to rival the family, all right? They wanted to extort Young out of $500 a week to sell heroin in their neighborhood, a fee that was 29% higher than the family had extorted from her. Yeah, that's not that's not cool. Young never paid either. On July thirty first of nineteen seventy two, several members of the organization broke into her house while she slept. Oh, bad that she was probably had like suitcases packed and shit, like boxes. Like she was ready to go to Bloomington, uh-huh. dude. That's like three days before school starts. July thirty first, <laughs> her and her mother were shot multiple times by double barrel shotguns. Wow. Linda died at the scene. Doris died a little bit later. These guys liked shotguns. Shotguns specifically have been throughout this entire story. You want to know what the saddest part was? What? What? What is it? You're, so you're, I had it, I you're had doing it. Your, your blow nose laugh. 
I had it a little bit backwards, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just a little bit. So the same people, Linda, you know, Linda's the daughter. Yeah. I had it written down wrong. The mother was the one selling the heroin. It was oh, not good. the 19-year-old. It was the mother. <laughs> oh, good. So the child is completely innocent. <laughs> Here's the saddest part. The mother hated every minute of doing it, but she had always promised her daughter that she would fully pay for her school, and this was the only way she could afford it. Oh man, so she was this quite makes lit- it sad. She was quite literally giving away her life to heroin so that she could pay for her daughter to have a better life than she did. And they ended up both getting murdered because Fuck, of it. Fuck, they're both angels. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, really? Oh, uh-huh. No. A name was given to the police of Lee Andrew Henderson as one of the individuals that broke into the home. Police scoured around looking for Henderson, determined to see him locked up. Eventually, he got found shot in a Chicago alley after being kidnapped and robbed by the family. Cool. In July of 1972, Garland Jeffers got his parole revoked, and he returned to prison. September 25th of that year, he was released on bond from Indiana Reformatory at Pendleton. Law enforcement was flabbergasted. Parole violations are not usually bondable, if you didn't know that. I had no idea. I don't know that. You didn't know that, did I didn't you? know that. I, I already forgot. But he was let out on parole. And essentially from there, he kind of went in and out of prison, right? Um, like in, you do, yeah. In 2000, and let me pull this up, because I was trying to get the dates, but I'm a little lost here. Um... Yeah, in 2004, there was a Supreme Court case. It was the United States of America versus Garland Jeffers. And it was essentially going back and backdating all of the shit that he had done. Yeah. And giving him an official sentence. But that went all the way up to there, right? How about that? 2004, right before the Sox won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about that? How about that? I'm trying to... I'm actually going to... Try to look this up right now because I could not find it. Um, but I do know he's dead right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but nobody like. There's really not a lot of information about it. You know what I Is mean? Is it Harlan Jeffers? But it's really interesting because it keeps like going and going and going. Mitch is here. Up. Mitch is here. Bananas are gonna happen. Everybody, it's gonna be great. It's happening, guys. It's happening. Let me see. We keep it's going. Up there. Nice. Oh, it's Mitch, dude. He just fucking threw up in his mouth. (laughs) It's just silence. (laughs) Give me a minute. I'm looking up something. I'm looking for it also. We're out of practice. But 88. He died Wednesday, June 4th of 2014. At home following an illness. Garland Peter Jeffers Sr. He died in 2018. How about that? I think I just found a random obituary of a dude with the same name. <laughs> he was 71 years old. Uh, no hint to anyone uh, that cared other than his family members. So goes the story of the region's most successful drug dealer and gangster. Born and raised right here in Gary, Indiana. How about that? Beautiful, yeah. Just a hometown hero. Okay, so he died, and he also had a son who is still currently alive. Um... His name is Garland Jeffers Jr. I see his picture. He looks terrified. You're looking at him? Yeah, he's that... still, he's a person. <laughs> Holy shit. That guy looks like he's seven feet tall. 
Uh, but Garland Jeffers Sr., his father, was not released from prison until sometime in the 2010s, okay? Okay. Right. So he was in prison for a very long time. Now, what's interesting about this story, I'm in... Just because I did the episode on it, I'm still trying to do more research on it because it's very intriguing to me. And I know, I mean, we're in the area. You know there's going to be books and historical shit about it. No, of course, yeah. Garland Jeffers is essentially credited with creating the murder capital of the world, you know, moniker that Gary had. Of the country, at least. Well, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the country makes more sense. Yeah, and but, Chicago just dethroned us. They did, but... Yeah. It, but it's, it's only a hop and a skip away. It, I mean, you can fucking get there on a scooter. Dude. Exactly. It really, it's not his fault, obviously, but he opened the floodgates for the crime that happened. And they kind of kept it in check in a weird way, in a vigilante style well, way. Well, at first he was trying to stop it. And then he was like, this money's so good, I'm going to completely flip and reverse it. But yeah, that's a, a local story that, when you try to look it up, there's not a whole lot about it. And it's because it's so localized to this area of the country, specifically the region. But also, it's like, I don't know, it could have something to do with race and the fact that, like, whenever you think of, uh, like, organized crime, you always think of fucking Al Capone. And, yeah, like, you don't think the about Irish the Irish and side. the Italians. Like, you never think of, like, what would come after that. Right. But this guy had such a fucking impact on our area specifically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's just outside of Chicago. Everyone knows Gary. Everyone knows Chicago. Why isn't this guy talked about? I mean, he kept the moniker of organized crime going well into the later years when they had pretty much disbanded. It was almost obsolete at that point. Or the way people don't like to talk about it. Because after, you know, the 50s and 60s, the mafia was sort of just absorbed into the CIA. Um, but once that happened... It had to go somewhere, and Garland Jeffers was the fucking guy that kept it alive in the Midwest. So how about that? And he, uh, yes. he was released from prison sometime in the 2010s, and he died peacefully in his home in 2018. From what? What'd he do? They He's did just not, a heart I, stop? That is what I could not fucking find. Wow. But he was old, you know, I mean, he was approaching 80, you know? It was, or, you know, it was almost, strange. He was sitting on the couch, but just like his father, his, his skull just cracked in disappeared he should have been wearing a helmet but yeah that is the story of garland jeffers how about that guy that was a good one dude fuck you how about that so you guys know you heard the announcement you heard the the intro we're we're gonna be doing it still just uh whenever yeah we will be back don't worry we will return um there is no scheduled date if you guys miss us please let us know tell us what you want to hear Tell us, hey, it's been three weeks, and we just want to fucking hear your stupid yeah. voices. Then we'll get right on that. Yeah, we'll do when, it. When we feel like it. But we will certainly be coming back. I have a couple things I'm trying to kick around right now, but we'll see if they come up with anything. But we do love you guys. It's true, yeah. I apologize. I, me and Jake apologize together. Holy shit, I didn't say we are starting a cold. That's great. I'm Jake. Oh, we're rusty. Mitch is in the room. Holy shit, this is nice. But I do appreciate everything that you guys did. I know that we were gone for a while. Thank you for sticking around. And if you listen to this all the way through, we love you. And we will be back. It is true. Also, I mean, you can follow us on all the stuff. But as you've seen in the past, like, month and a half, rather, we don't really update very no. often. We need So break. you can do that. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And, uh, 
the the TikTok is just my personal account now. Yeah, it just okay. has Wasak on there. It's okay. It's pretty good. That's how the Reddit is. The Reddit was the podcast Reddit. It has strictly become my personal. Yeah, it's account. just what I use. It's yeah. okay. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, if you see us anywhere, you know it's one of us. There you go. Mitch is talking about clown porn. Clown porn. Did All we right, try guys. to look that up? Did we find it? We found it, but it was not what we wanted. It uh, was just—it was sadder. It was just regular porn ladies, just with like clown makeup on. Oh, okay. it wasn't well, what I wanted. I mean, to see. it's not bad, but it's not what I want. No, it's not my thing. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, I think that's the end of the episode. Welcome uh, back to our lives. I guess we love you all. Hi. Goodbye. It's me, Jake. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.